Hey, you are listening to The Workplace Leader. This is the podcast where we go behind the scenes of corporate real estate, talking to industry experts about how they shape the next generation workplace. I'm your host, Sabine M. And in today's episode, I'm speaking with Mark Needham. Mark is EMEA Hybrid Work Leader, WebEx and Workplace Transformation at Cisco. Hi, everyone. Another exciting conversation for me with Mark Needham. Mark and I met, albeit virtually, a year ago, where he was still working from his home office cave that everybody admired on the on the call. Now he's changed the setup a little bit. Maybe we dive into the ideal remote setup a little bit later. But for now, hi, Mark. Um, hey, Sabine. Thank you for um, inviting me to have a conversation with you and catch up. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Let's start with a bit of, I call it housekeeping. What's your role at Cisco? So you work at Cisco, I can say that. And what's your professional background? How did you get there? Yeah, sure. So my role is I'm the EMEA hybrid work leader. So I actually sit in the collaboration part of the business. And my role is predominantly kind of business development uh, strategy focused. And a lot of my time is spent with customers, helping them basically unlock hybrid work. A lot of customers are looking for guidance and advice about how they can make hybrid work successful. And a lot of my time is spent having those dialogues, helping them join them to the right experts within Cisco, and also understanding where they have pain points. And we can provide that feedback to our product teams that can try and build those into our products as well. So that's my role as, as it stands today. So my professional background, even though I work in a tech company now, uh, I, I didn't actually start working in a tech, tech company. So post-university, I moved back to London. And like almost everybody that went to university and didn't get a first that's from London, you end up either being a recruitment consultant, an estate agent, or working in media. And I ended up working in media. And then 11 years ago, I moved into the tech sector where I was looking for something a bit meatier with uh, more interesting things to get my mind into um, and kind of develop that level of engagement. Now, when it comes to Cisco, how big is the real estate portfolio? So Cisco is a very large organization. So we're a $50 billion organization. We have offices all over the world, uh, about 88 countries, and we've got about 270 offices across those countries. So quite a bigger footprint. Yes, <laughs> I'd say so. Then how is the corporate real estate organization structured within Cisco? Who does what? Um, so the best way to think about it is, is particularly around the topic of hybrid work is that we spend a lot of time trying to break down the silos. So everything we do is HR working alongside facilities, working alongside our IT teams. And that's really how we structured our approaches. So in fact, the corporate real estate team ultimately reports to our HR leader. But what we call HR internally is called uh, people and communities. So our people and communities team that are all focused on the experience of our employees and obviously our offices are a huge part of that experience. So that's kind of why that shift happened. Within the particular teams, obviously, as any large organization, you've got regional representation. We've got lots of uh, workplace experience members of the team, all focused in different areas of specialization. So, for example, one of the team, Jane, she's focused on change management. One of the guys, John, used to be an architect. He's all about design. So really, you have those areas of deep expertise alongside the more operational side of things as well. 
Now, we're getting more to, to the meat of things. You've mentioned in a recent presentation that I followed that even before the pandemic, Cisco had already been on a hybrid working journey, thus becoming the most mature hybrid work culture at scale. What's your evidence for that? No, that's a great question. So I think the best way of thinking about this is, so by nature, we're a very large global organization. We've very much been focused on getting the best people into our organization to make us successful, more so focused on how close they are to a particular office. So we started on a hybrid work journey probably 11 years ago. Um, and that's when the team's had greater flexibility in how they wanted to work, where they wanted to work, and how they wanted to bring that together. So even if we look at some of the kind of pre-pandemic stats, half the company worked in a different location to their managers. Half the company were working across multiple time zones. And really, to enable that to be successful, obviously, we had to have this kind of hybrid work approach where everyone had the right tools, everyone had the ability to find their own autonomy that allowed them to be successful alongside being able to obviously deliver what's required for the organization. So I think that's kind of really strong kind of evidence of how long we've been on this journey. And when you look at the experiences during the pandemic as, as the culmination of this, so you would see that some large organizations would talk about how they struggled with productivity, how they struggled with kind of maintaining their culture and couldn't really master the hybrid work nature. It was forced on them and they were kind of finding their way. In our case, we've had a hugely productive and hugely innovative time during the pandemic. So some specific stats, we closed 14 acquisitions, five relate specifically to topic of hybrid work. We saw a 15% increase in kind of new patents, which were granted via our innovation, launched 23 new products, hired more than 2,000 people, uh, were named one of the world's best supply chains by Gartner, and built, kind of articulated and socialized our net zero strategy, which is by 2040. So I think that really shows that even with all the challenges everyone faced during the pandemic, we've really mastered that. And the groundwork for that started many, many years ago when we started operating in this more flexible way. And some other kind of data points around that, again, pre the pandemic, 9% of the workforce worked fully remotely in the state that they never actually came into an office because they were the best people in a location that didn't work for an office or for another reason they didn't come into an office, but we still needed them. And 80% of the company was working from home at least once a week anyway, and we ensured everybody was set up with the right tools to make that a success. So that's kind of really where we come into this. When we say that we've pretty much got the most mature hybrid working culture globally, I think that shows that. And by nature of that we are a large tech company, we've always been customer zero for our technology, for our innovations. So before a customer gets access to the tech, we're using it internally for six months, 12 months, depending on what the product is. And that's allowed us to unlock this value. You're making or giving me the cue here to ask more about being customer zero and the technology and tools that are used to equip remote workers. So do you have kind of a company recommendation of what a home or remote setup should be like? So the answer is yes and no. So the no bit is that everyone has their own home working environment. So my home office is different to your home office that would be different to somebody else's home office. So you need to be mindful of that. But there are a few underlying things that have to be there to make hybrid work a success. So clearly, what you're going to need to have 
video. Basically, you need, they need an enterprise-grade video front and centered experience. One of my old jobs, uh, my first tech job, in fact, I was working at home at that time. And all I had was a BlackBerry and I absolutely hated working from home. I was disengaged. I felt distanced from my colleagues. And because the office was in a horrendous place to get to, I never wanted to go to the office anyway. So fair to say that wasn't the most engaging part of my career. But when I joined Cisco seven years ago, I've had dedicated video unit on my desk. So even though most of my team are in other countries, you never really felt that distance. And you can still foster that culture just because you can always read the body language, have that natural engagement. The other thing that helps with is, and I'm sure many people experience this over the last couple of years, if you spend your day hunched over a laptop, it's just really uncomfortable and it makes your day feel very, very long. And if you have a dedicated device, which is optimized for being on video and running these meetings more remotely, you, you don't get that fatigue. So that's the first element, obviously, that access to video. And very much every home worker in Cisco has access to a first-class video experience. Based on your role, that may be a different device. So I use something that's called a, a WebEx Desk Pro, which is kind of more kind of executive device. But we also have kind of dedicated kind of 4K cameras, which are via USB, which allow people to build their own ergonomic home office. So that's one element. Another really important element is around secure access. So when the pandemic landed as as a point of reference, lots of people felt that preparing your workers for home working meant they had to have meetings. How can they have meetings from home? Now, it's an obvious to understand why that's where people started, but it's not home working, flexible working, hybrid working. It's not about being in meetings. It's about doing every aspect of your role from any location 100% effectively. So it's about how you can manage your calling, your file transfer, your secure access into corporate documents that you need to access from home, even though you may not be on a corporate network. So that's a really important element of that as well. So you've got the video, you've got the secure access, and then depending where people are based, um, they may have different levels of uh, internet quality, should we say. So my old house before we moved was in West London, and I had incredible internet. I had no issues at all. Where I've moved now, out to the Surrey Hills, it's a little bit patchier, and you need to take that into account in how the technology can can behave, where the bandwidth may be a little bit more challenged. So quite a lot of the team at Cisco have also taken a home access point, but where it allows them to have the office Wi-Fi in their home office. And there's a couple of different ways we can do that. So that supports the experience, it supports the access, it minimizes downtime, it can allow you to provide less bandwidth to Netflix and YouTube for your children and more bandwidth to your job and allowing you to be effective all day long. So they're kind of three really key components, that connectivity, that security and the ability to be on video in a more natural and effective way. Yeah, I think I'm having more troubles with my neighbors. I'm just realizing that now that everybody's at home working from there, I'm having more internet connection troubles than during the summer where people were allowed to go to the office. So I need to be able to control what they're doing. Yeah, definitely makes a difference. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Now, I've noted as well that actually you were doing, as a company, Cisco, doing quite well during the lockdowns in terms of productivity and what you put out. But the notion still to come back to the office, what are the business reasons for that? Yeah, no, sure. So um, so if, if you go online and Google it, you'll see that our CEO has very publicly stated there is no mass return to office for Cisco. 
hybrid work's been really successful. Lots of the company already worked in a hybrid fashion. Pretty much everybody in sales and marketing worked in hybrid fashion for 11 years, and that's 25,000 of the 70,000 employees. But now everyone's doing it, and everyone can work from home or in the office as they see fit. Well, where we had seen a change is that we are still opening new offices. So it's not a case we're just closing all the offices and saying everyone stay at home. Based on the kind of feedback from the employees, there are different things they're looking for out of different experiences. So what we tend to see is that when people have need to do head down kind of solo work, when what's the point of going to the office for head down solo work? You might as well stay at home, save your commute, and really knuckle down and get done what you need to get done. That said, people still go into the office. And, and what are they looking for when they go into the office? Well, predominantly, it's a, a different experience, clearly, than what they get at home. And the workplace now has to work that much harder to motivate people to go into the office. So that is about creating the offices to have more of a social environment. So admittedly, I, when I tend to go in, into the office, it normally rotates around having lunch with somebody or going for dinner with somebody or taking a partner out or having dinner with a customer or something like that, where you're having a rich social interaction, which is different to what you'd be doing at home. The other side of it relates to the richest level of the collaboration to outcomes you're trying to strive for. So like big teams coming together for brainstorming and ideation, it is often better to do that in person, even though the technology can underpin that if it's not possible for everybody to get into the room together. So how do you create that richest level of collaboration in those environments? So we're seeing an explosion of how people use the open plan in the office for collaborative work, both for people in that space and externally. We're trying to design the spaces to be more flexible, but um, and all those already elements come together based on what you're working on at any particular time. Now, the other really big one is how do you make an office more desirable for somebody to go to? Well, very much putting it in a great location, predominantly downtown if you're in America or in a city if you're in London, as an example, helps motivate people to go there because they want that vibe. And lots of our offices are, like many companies, kind of out of town, maybe off near an airport, through to the nature of how our business has grown over the years. And we have always had downtown offices, but all the new offices going up at the moment are in downtown locations. There's a new office in Chicago. There's a new office in New York. There's a new office in South Africa. And they're all in Joburg, for example. They're all in the one in New York's above Penn Station. And that is obviously to motivate people to use there. But also when it comes to attracting the best talent, obviously what I may want as a 41-year-old with two children, I value lots being at home. What my 25-year-old version of me wanted would be to be in a really slick office in the middle of the city with all the awesomeness that comes tied to that. And obviously we need to attract the best talent early in career as well as the best talent that are more senior. So that allowed, that flexibility allows people to go to an office, work from home, work anywhere in between. During the pandemic, I actually spent quite a lot of time working from cafes in Richmond. They had good internet, needed to change the scenery. So I'd literally walk up the road, set up camp for a few hours, then come back to my home office, which at that time was at the end of the garden. And so it's about supporting that rhythm and giving people choice, but not forcing them to work in one particular way. If people want to get in the office five days a week, awesome, do it. If you want to stay at home five days a week, also awesome. But more often than not, we see that people have a spread across time at home, time in an office, and time somewhere else. Yeah, it's kind of like choose your playing field where you want to go. 
and maybe feel like your younger self again going into the big city for the exciting social interactions. Exactly. One of the things we've started doing recently, I saw this job on there, is um, allowing people to work in another location for a period of time where they're not contracted for. So, for example, so I could hypothetically go and work in a ski resort for four weeks. So if I took an Airbnb in the mountains in Switzerland, I could work from there for a month without causing any challenges from a kind of legal, from a policy, from a perspective and all those things that HR have to worry about. So that's something new, which is obviously designed around trying to drive that maximum engagement for the employees and giving them another choice on top of the three I listed previously. Yeah, that was actually what I was going to say as well. I've recently read an interesting book where it was about how it's important or how actually like hybrid work allows us to connect with our local communities more and to choose time spent there as well to get to know our neighbors. Because if you live in the big city and commute, you don't really interact with like the community you live in necessarily that much. So that's kind of adding another layer of experience. And then of course, going abroad and working from there. Though I'm not sure I would recommend four weeks in Switzerland because it's becoming really expensive and you're still there to work, right? So... Yeah, you'd hope for a powder snow over the weekend, then no one hitting the mountains Monday to Friday. Okay, you've mentioned it. The office has to work so much harder to be the place that people choose to go opposed to the rich choices that they have. And I've done my homework and noted that Cisco had been awarded as great place to work in three consecutive years, 2019, 2020. 20 and 2021, which is already the year of the pandemic. So what does make Cisco a great place to work from your point of view? Um, so in some respects, we've kind of structured out the framework of what makes it a great place to work. So we've always worked in this kind of more hybrid, more flexible fashion. Obviously, lots of people that have t had a taste of that for the first time over the last kind of 18 months really valued that. So I think what where it comes from our perspective is, well, we've had that flexibility. We've kind of been able to expand that, which give people that really great engagement. A second element is around, I think, really strong level of transparency from senior leadership to everyone in the organization. So every single month, there's an all hands with the CEO and all 70,000 staff. You can pretty much ask them any questions you want. And the topics for discussion are obviously company updates, but also social, obviously community things that are going on at that point in time are always addressed. Obviously, the topic of COVID, vaccinations, travel, events, all these kind of things when people can go into the office, that, that's obviously a regular kind of theme at the moment. And as part of that, though, I think what that shows is that even at the highest level in the company, all these leaders are in their homes. So you get, you get a little taste of if you were running a $50 billion company, what could my house be like? Um, and that really sets the expectations for the rest of the employees. Uh, my personal favorite example is we're on one of the all hands, maybe about six months into the pandemic, and the CEO's granddaughter decided to interrupt a call he was on with 70,000 people uh, to show him a picture she'd written, she'd drawn. And he was like, that's awesome. She showed the she then showed the picture to the 70,000 staff and then went on her way. And just rather than like, you stay outside, don't come near me kind of thing, just that level of embracement of this is hybrid work, this is normal, it's normal for me, it's normal for all of you, allows people to feel comfortable and obviously bring their best every day, but with a level of balance tied to that as well. So that, that for me is that freedom of balance 
but also the tools to allow you to be successful. And our HR team have always been quite innovative in some of the things they've done with the policies. So they started setting up this thing called a day for me, which is a, a day which isn't out of your holiday allowance where everyone in the company has a day off. So our next one is on February 21st, where everyone doesn't need to come to work on February 21st. And there's four of those a year. So just little things like that, knowing that people have been under intense pressure on top of, for many, what is already intense pressure of just doing their jobs anyway, to try and help them kind of find that balance. So I think for me, at least that's what it is. That's the bit which I've always said. So I think even before the pandemic, people say, oh, so well, how do you see your career panning out? What, what are you thinking of in future? And I could never, ever, even before the pandemic, consider ever working anywhere now, which doesn't have that natural rhythm, that hybrid work culture, the ability to have you that let you have that balance for at home alongside being able to do a really engaging job at the same time. Yeah. It boils down to allowing choice for the individual to to find their path. And then at the same time, I love that story with with a drawing, like being human in the workplace and not that business persona that's like super strong and can't show emotions. Exactly. So that's exactly yeah. Being able to to be authentic like you are normally as well, that's that's great. I think something else to on that, which a lot of people leverage as well, is around we also get a week of PTO to use for community activities. So volunteering for causes, school stuff, kind of the whole host of things that apply. But it allows people where they have passions outside of work, the kind of knowledge that you can go and do that, go and do good. So there's lots of activities around that as well, which I think people see great value in. Now, we've talked about the factors that contribute to making a great workplace. We haven't really talked about the office in that equation that much. And you've mentioned you are opening new offices and you've made conscious location choices for these offices. How are they going to look like? Can you give us a glimpse into what the future work environment will be like if it's Cisco owned or Cisco leased? So I think the place to start is if you think about an office in the past, the office was where everything happened. So your coffee machine was there, your colleagues were there, all your technology was there, everything was at the office. But now where we've moved to now is that the actual part of an organization is the technology and the tools that they're using. And the office is now becoming just one of a many entry points into that ecosystem of technology and tools you need to drive your business. And that mental reframing of the office being one way to be part of the experience of doing your actual job rather than the only way also has an impact on how you think about how you design the spaces and what you do with your offices. And actually, some of the commonalities between the office and what you need at home are actually very similar. So if you look at there's a statistic, which I think pretty much everyone's used over the last two years, that moving forwards, 98% of meetings will have a remote participant. Okay, so therefore, every single collaboration space in your office needs dedicated video experiences to allow people to have that richest interaction with the one person that's coming in remotely. Or it could be there's only one person in an office and 10 people coming in remotely. And the other thing I think is worth calling out is I, when you read some of the, into the tone of some of the articles around hybrid work and future work, they almost position that it would be the junior person that's at home and the senior person's in, in their office. And that's not the case at all. The person coming in remotely could be the most senior person. It could be the host of the meeting. It could be the CEO. So clearly you need that 
a consistent experience, a consistent high quality experience, those people at home and those people in the office basically have an access to the same tool set. So obviously it has an impact on the technology you need to think about. So if you're in a room for 50 people or 20 people or 10 people, the video devices being used to drive that engagement are obviously going to have to be somewhat bigger than what you'd have on your desk for your home office. So that comes into play. So there's a huge element there. And also because where we're seeing those changing behaviours around less people using the physical office for solo work, they go in there for the richest level of social collaboration, that has an impact on how you design the physical spaces. So, for example, if you take the new office in Chicago, individual offices have all gone. There's no individual's offices in that office, and it's allowed us to double the number of huddle spaces. And you need more huddle spaces because people, by nature of the way people work today, they're more collaborative in nature. But also, you need every one of those huddle spaces needs to have video to engage with people in either huddle spaces in other locations or people at home. And that obviously transcends across the entire office. So where we're seeing people, in how to use the open plan isn't, in a box with the laptop and headphones on, they're in the open plan, having a conversation, socialising. They're just hanging out in the open plan between doing other parts of the role, between getting into a meeting or going to a customer or doing something over here. So that natural rhythm and that kind of this openness of the spaces is so important. And then the other element is around, we've started creating this concept, the linguistics change from time to time. The phrase I personally like is calling it the grand community lounge. So think of something that's like a fusion between a business class lounge at an airport, like a WeWork or something like that. So quite a funky office. And when we look at the data of how people are using the offices, that's where they tend to spend most of their time in these kind of more open, more engaging, more funky spaces. So more and more offices are becoming that. Less and less of the office floor plan is becoming a desk with a box. In fact, in pretty much all the offices, there are no desks, which are boxes. They're all big library tables or they're up high, almost like um, where you just stand, you can lean on the table and just be a bit more natural. I just mentioned you are looking at the data to validate your assumptions around the office and actually to build the workplace design program. There's actually two things I'm wondering. So one was how are your offices open currently? Because I think across the globe, it's still very different from country to country, whether you can come in or not. So do you have like real data? So one question and the other is, what are the data points you're looking at? Yeah, no, for sure. So on your first point, are the offices open? So obviously different parts of the world are at different stages of the kind of pandemic. So we have a, a kind of free stage return to office model, stage zero, one, two, three. So stage zero, and I'm not aware of any offices which are in stage zero at the moment, is where the only people allowed on site are ultimately the people that have to run the data center. So where you've got rack rooms and things that underpin the technology, that if it breaks, basically the entire company stops working. That obviously, they've always had access, and that's stage zero. Then as you go to stage one, stage two, stage three, the capacity of the office Uh, the percentage capacity, the density changes. So you go up from 10% to 25 to 50%. So the UK, for example, has been in the uh, stage three pretty much since the summer. So there's still some processes we go through to get access to the office, checking people's if they've been in contact with somebody from COVID, this awareness about what they're going to the office for. And there's a custom app we've built where you basically just, yes, yes, yes. And then you get a green or red based on whether you can 
access the office based on your response to your questions. And obviously that's about keeping your colleagues safe is why we kind of go through that process. Then in the US, none of the offices kind of because different states have different rules, it's a bit more fluid. But I think the best way, the grand reopening of America is currently stated for all the offices, which should be this month. That was due meant to be free Christmas, but then kind of Omnicom got in the way. And obviously in the UK, we had the government guidance to not go into into the office for pretty much most of December. So you could still go in. You just need certain different approvals. So we're in various different stages. Obviously, Asia opened up first. Australia was our first office and Singapore were the first offices to reopen. And so we've got lots of data from different locations in the world, but the data kind of shows kind of consistent, shows consistency in how people are using the office, the kind of things they're looking for. So we've got yeah, lots of data points. Also, additionally, added on top of that, lots of surveys being done with the staff around what they're looking for, their levels of comfort and so forth. One thing that I'm always wondering about is if you allow or when you allow employees the full choice, you're running the risk that the office remains empty on certain days, typically probably a Monday and a Friday. So how does that go together with building a sustainable and efficient portfolio? Because real estate is one of the biggest contributors to CO2 emissions. So you want to have that to a reasonable size. Uh, yes, no, it's a really good point. Uh, and um, obviously the topic of sustainability is is massive for Cisco. So we've got a giant solar farm in the US, which powers quite a lot of our facilities, uh, as an example. We've got our company net zero strategy by 2040, and that looks at every aspect of our organization. So obviously we, we manufacture things, we have offices, we have travel, and how we look to minimize the impact of all of those things. And we also try to impact those values on our supply chain as well and our partners to help kind of drive that kind of greater good, that kind of greater outcome. So obviously a lot of not only, so I do sit on more collaboration side of the business, but in our traditional kind of networking parts of Cisco, there's lots of things, products there around uh, smart buildings, smart, sustainable buildings. And obviously we under, we use that to underpin a lot of things we do. So how we can minimize the power, there's lots of activities around POE, And we've got a whole function of our organization which does that. Different offices, based on how modern they are, some are more sustainable than others. But obviously, the plan is to move all of them to the kind of gold standard for sustainability. But, I mean, the, the ongoing joke pre the pandemic was if you're in the office on a Friday afternoon, we'd be on a call. And about 15 minutes into our call, all the lights would go off around me because there was no movement being detected on the floor. So to save the power, all the lights would go off. So you then have to roll your chair around and then come back on and we carry on the meeting. Because obviously lots of people wouldn't go to the office on a Friday because for 11 years we've been working in a hybrid fashion anyway. So things like smart blinds, smart lighting, minimizing wastewater, looking at what we do with our real estate footprints. So for example, like our first purpose-built hybrid work office was our office in Singapore. And we saw a, a massive reduction in square footage of Um, 68% when we went from the old Singapore office to the new one. And a lot of that was put based on the data of how people were using the spaces. Uh, we went to less meeting, we went down to 100 meeting rooms, but every single one of them were video enabled because what the data showed in the previous office were the spaces which were used were those with video in, but you'd have two people in a room for 10. So that's where the video endpoints were. So rather than that and wasting that square footage, we matched 
the usage of the space to the workplace footprint, which allowed us to have be more collaborative, get better outcomes, but in a smaller footprint. And that's had impact. We obviously better for the environment, saved lots of OPEX, and we saw better engagement with the employees as well. And then we kind of, that's the model for all the other offices uh, since then as well. Looking at the data that you uh, used to inform space configurations, could you identify some common misperceptions when it came to employee behavior and workplace demand? Um, misperceptions. It's actually quite a hard question to address. So I think one, and it's less about happy view space, but one common misconception that you see people call out is that you can't have a good culture if people are not in the office all day long. So a lot of people seem worried about the culture and that environment. Um, and obviously, we, we've not seen that as the case at all. And so the, the way you get around that is by doing pretty much everything we've spoken about. So optimise it, matching the workplace design to the workplace behaviours. Clearly, that's really key. And you will see, if you have multiple offices, you will see different behaviours in different locations than others. And the way you can dynamically change that, it's not, not a case where you this is the office and it never changes. It's a constant evolution and iteration based on the data, how people are using it, the feedback we're getting and the priorities of the business at that point in time. So I think the misconception being that you have an office, nothing changes, being one. Two being you can't have a strong culture if people are not in an office all day long. You see the press and you see some leaders um, for organisations talking about that. That's clearly not the case uh, because we were named world's best workplace three years running and we've had hybrid working for 11 plus years so i think they're the kind of main misconceptions and i think that's it. i mean it's, it's such a hard question because a misconception would vary from one company to another but i think that if two kind of uber themes tied to it that would be the ones i'd call out i think one additional one that you've drawn upon it before as well is the perception that young people don't want to come to the office, but more senior staff do. And I don't think it's that strict line. It's more like, I know a lot of young people who would like to go to the office just to yeah, connect with others and get into the feeling for the company in these kind of, of things. So that would probably be another one that we're, we're citing always the Gen Z that wants all the hybrid and like working nomad life. <laughs> Exactly. And the thing, because if different people, their living scenario at home is different. So I'm fortunate enough that I have a dedicated office in the house. If you're in a shared house, you may be working in your bedroom. You may have two or three people working in the lounge. And therefore, again, it has an impact on the technology that's needed. You need centrally managed headsets for acoustics so you're not over-speaking each other. You're in the same space, you need to be effective and so forth. So I was actually speaking to, we had... um because we hire lots of grads, lots of kind of early in careers. We took some out for dinner just before Christmas, just before the, we were told the rules change with Omnicom. And so I asked the exact question to them, because I know why I find at this stage in my life the flexibility so amazing. But then, so I posed a question to um, those guys as well, just to kind of sound test. I knew what I thought they were going to say, but I just wanted to test it. So to give you a simple example, so one of the guys, really good rugby player, um, so really, really good. Love rugby player, kind of semi-pro level. So his working model was that he loves being able to work at home because he would work pretty much eight to three. He would then go to the gym and train for two to three hours. Then he'd go back on later in the evening 
to kind of get ready for, for, the, for the next day. And that was his natural rhythm. My natural rhythm was he's pretty much structured around, I need to drop the children off to school. They get back from school at this time. They go to bed between 6 and 7 p.m. Uh, and then oh, I structure my time around that. But equally, there'd be other people where they, they still want that buzz. So it'd be, so you'll have your gym days and using this uh, guy as, as an example. But on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, you go into the office because you know on those days you have your team meetings, you know your rest of the team are there, you go out and socialise with them. So, it, and that's it. It's, it means hybrid work means different things to diff, to everybody. The ultimate outcome is allowing you to be the best version of yourself for your employer, but also for what, whatever you're passionate about. We've got other members of the team as part of their kind of giving back. They do kind of teach like yoga to the community. So schools, kind of care homes, stuff like that. And again, they, they see great value in taking some time out of their day to go and do that and then just shifting their day around a little bit. So it's that kind of, yeah, that conception that it's not just about age, it's not just about demographic, it's not just about a location. It's very personal what works for you and you need to be able to underpin that. And even if it's that personal, it might not be that this is your daily rhythm every day. I have a colleague now that we don't have daylight, like, for long and it's cold he's taking the days where it's sunny and warm enough to go out with the road bike and then he's gone for two hours and on the days where it's not nice enough he won't do that so it's like really opportunistic kind of using the time as well and you're also going to have you are going to have demands is too strong a phrase but the needs of the organization that you need to be in a certain place or on a certain call at a certain time so it goes both ways so it's not just about me saying, I'm going to do this every day. I may want to do X every day. I know my employer needs me to do Y every day. Then you need to find the overlap between the two. And then the other layer on that is if you, when you're talking about a fostering kind of a great team, it's not just about my natural rhythm. It's about the natural rhythm of the collective team. So it may be that I'm a terrible morning person. One of my teammates is a terrible evening person. And the best time for us to do our group work is at five o'clock, four o'clock, three o'clock, whatever it may be. Or conversely, the best time may be that we have a meeting at 7 p.m. at night because the children are in bed. Your colleague's been out on his road bike. Someone's been to their rugby training. And that's just the time that works, the pattern of each of you, which does make it more complex. But this is, this is why it all comes back to the workplace's one entry point into the ecosystem of tools. And the ecosystem of tools need to underpin every mode of work in that single consistent experience to allow you to get a hugely successful hybrid work outcome rather than feeling like you've taken something away. It's not a one plus one, one plus two equals two. It's a one plus two equals five because of the additional flexibility if you do it right. And it underpins also that the workplace experience is actually even more about the team you're working in than it is the office you are working in. Because if you are well connected with your team and you want to support them being their best selves, the same way they want to support you and together create great results, you will find a way to make it work. Rather, if you're unengaged, you don't care about that team and then the fancy office will not help. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, there's some cool things we, we've launched recently. Uh, so around kind of data insights about what is your natural rhythm. But for example, I can get data insights on my natural rhythm. My manager, my boss doesn't see that data. It's just for me. So what are my natural patterns? Am I late for meetings? Am I always early? Am I inviting my colleagues to meetings at a time that's outside their working hours? 
or am I being disrespectful and being late to all the meetings I'm getting invited to? So these are all insights that make me help me be a better version of myself at work and be more productive. But also collectively, I have my insights about my behaviours. You'd have your insights about yours. Somebody else would have their insights about theirs, and everyone kind of levels up. Everyone learns via the idea till they get everyone being as effective as possibly together. And again, that's just one example. Again, that's tied to the technology, it's tied to the tools. But what it's actually driving is something much softer, which is the relationships and being respectful to the needs of your colleagues and teams. And it's enabling you actually to live hybrid work in a manner that will work in the long term. That is not like driven out of like crisis and you need to work from home, however it is. It's like, building that awareness around what is a sensible approach to it. So that's really cool. Yeah, I think that's a really good call out. So your remote work, hybrid work, flexible working, all these different modes of working, they need to be sustainable. Otherwise, so you, everyone has the capability to, there's a period of time where you have like a big sprint and you may have a giant project or something's going on which needs uh, 120% for a week. But you can't be at 120%, 120%, 52 weeks a year. You just burn out. It's not healthy. It's not good for the well-being of your employees. So you need the ability for all these things to happen in a sustainable fashion because company performance isn't driven by a massive sprint where you're doing crazy hours for two weeks. It's about long-term sustainable improvements, long-term sustainable growth, and the long-term sustainable of your employees' well-being is the only way you can get to where you want to go. And then you come back round to organisations which are supporting this more hybrid approach, get access to the best ta- the best talent. There's numerous examples in the press. I think it may have been the CEO of Twitter put a post out that basically said, if your company's forcing you to come back to the office, come work for us. So it's about talent attraction and getting the best people is so hard at the moment because there is, it's well recognized there's a shortage of great IP in the workplace globally. You've got, the last that I saw is that 20,000 senior leaders a day are retiring globally and the next level of leaders are not quite there yet. So that obviously puts risk on you organizationally. So there's lots of dynamics around the people, how you can attract the best talent. And if you think about the best grads in the past, or take UK as an example, the most intelligent grads or don't, uh, from the best universities would end up working at banks or would be lawyers because they pay the most, ultimately. And bank A says, I'll pay you an extra 20K, come and work for me. You then go back to bank A and say, well, they've offered me an extra 30K and they offer you an extra 50K and so forth and so forth. And there was actually an article on the BBC website where they've shown that starting salaries in these industries have had to double because of the lack of talent. But ultimately, people are looking for something more holistic than that. So, yes, it'd be wonderful to have a a giant salary if you're working in a particular bank and another bank offers you more. But if what you give up for that extra salary, whatever it may be, could more than be compensated by Bank A being more holistic, supporting flexible working, caring about your well-being, giving you the right tools, supporting you at home, allowing you to give back to your community, and all these more more holistic, which obviously helps attract that person to go and work there. So there's lots of decisions to be made by organisations, uh, and there's more elements around the package to attract the best talent rather than just throwing money at it, which makes a big impact. It's actually a very good point to add one of my closing questions to. 
looking into the future, if you could magically solve any workplace problem, what would it be? I would like a mystical door in my home office, which I could just walk through and, and arrive in the office office <laughs> without a commute. That would be amazing. Um, okay, closing it out then with who else should I talk to on this podcast? And is there something you would like to ask them? Do you know, I'd like to speak to whoever in Facebook building out the concept of an office in the metaverse and to understand how they think that might actually work. It's all great seeing the glitzy video, but it's nice to understand the layers below how it would actually work. That would be pretty interesting. Yes, I agree. I've been like frowning seeing that. We're like, okay, <laughs> I think I'm not there yet. <laughs> so Mark, thank you very much. It's been fun and really insightful. Thanks for taking the time and coming on. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting us. Yeah, it's been great seeing you again and miss you virtually. So Sabine and I am on video, even though this is a podcast. So yeah, to get to see each other. Thanks for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Workplace Leader, there's more. Go visit our blog and have a look at some of the other topics we have covered. Or tune into our next episode of The Workplace Leader.